So, Father, we thank you that you have revealed yourself. Make yourself known to us by your Spirit this morning. Do a work in us, we pray, and we ask all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. All right, church, uh, if you would, please go ahead and turn with me to Luke chapter 15 as we continue on in our series on parables. And I want to go ahead and invite uh, Megan Brumley up. She's going to be reading for us out of God's Word. We're going to be reading the parable of the lost sheep in Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 7. And if you would, please stand with me out of respect for God's Word. Uh, We do this each week as a reminder of uh, the authority that God's Word has in our lives. So, uh, Megan, I'll go ahead and pass it off to you. Luke chapter 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together all his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous people who need no repentance. Hear the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Amen. Thank you, Megan. So I think for those of you who have grown up in the church or if you have a certain familiarity with Scripture, or maybe this is the first time you've ever heard this story, this parable, um, it feels like it's one of those ones that it, it seems simple on its face value. And you could easily kind of summarize this parable, which is this, um, go share your faith with the lost, right? Jesus cares about the lost, which is absolutely a massive part of what this text is. But I want this morning to focus a little bit more on on something a little bit deeper in that, which is to really reflect upon Jesus's heart for people, to see Jesus's heart for for the people in which he came to save. And and so I want to look at two different things, two different components that I think will help us as we consider those two different things to become more Christ-like as the people of God. And I think that is the desire for most of us in this room, that we want to become more like Jesus. And so I want to first take a look at Jesus's compassion. You know, Jesus is walking around a world in which is not a lot different than ours. I think it's easy for us at times to uh, think of Scripture, and we kind of distance ourselves from it, thinking, well, that's the first century, and it's totally different than the world in which we live in. But, but Jesus was walking in a world just like the world that we live, just obviously without cars and cell phones and those types of things. But Jesus was going to the market, and Jesus was going to people's homes, and Jesus was going into the synagogues, which was like the churches, and Jesus uh, saw people on a day-to-day basis and engaged in life just like you do, just like I do in a lot of different ways. And as he did so, Jesus is encountering people just like you do, just like I do. And sometimes it's easy for us to forget that, that the people that Jesus is encountering are are not a lot different than the people you encounter every day. I was reminded of this, and we'll talk about it in a couple weeks when we talk more about our experience in Albania, that, that the people all across the world have the same challenges. They're not that different. We're very similar. 
And so you just think about who was Jesus engaging? Jesus was encountering drunkards, just like we can encounter here. He was encountering prostitutes, just like people we have here. He was encountering religious people who go to church and, and are trying to follow God, just like we have here. He was encountering families. Some of them were healthy families. Some of them were broken families and difficult families. He was encountering sick people and healthy people. He was encountering all kinds of people, angry people, prideful people, violent people, Rich people, greedy people, poor people, all of them were there. And he looked at them, and when he saw them, he saw individuals of people. And, and it's amazing that there wasn't judgment in Jesus' eyes. And you might say he had judgment towards the religious leaders of the day, the, the self-righteous people, the church folk, which I think is another topic for another time, right? Because that speaks to us as well. But what's amazing is Jesus wasn't repulsed by the people he encountered. He wasn't disgusted by the people that he encountered on a day-to-day -day basis. In fact, if you want to know what Jesus saw when he looked at those people, we can know exactly what he saw when he looked at those people when we look at Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. This is what he says. When he saw the crowds. So just stop. When he saw the people, just like you would see if you looked out on the crowds of, of the Chiefs game that started last night. Right? Or if you looked out on the crowds at the, the mall or at Bradley Fair or over by, at, at Chicken Pickle or whatever it is, when he saw the crowds, what happened? He had compassion for them. Why? Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Like that's it, isn't it? People wandering around making mistakes that sheep make, doing what sheep do. Harassed and helpless. Jesus' entire mission was to go to those wandering sheep with compassion. He went to the sickest of them, mangiest of them, the dirtiest of them, and he picked them up and he put them on his shoulders and he carried them home. Rejoicing. Jesus was here to have compassion on those people. Even in the midst of their self-destructive tendencies. Any of you know any of those people? People have those self-destructive tendencies in their lives. He wanted to receive them into his life. And that, this is the whole point of what the Pharisees say. They're just looking at him like, man, you, you receive the sinners. You don't just talk to them, but you receive them into your life. And you sit down and you eat with them and you hang out with them and you spend time with them. Jesus was receiving these people. I recently came across a uh, YouTube channel uh, and it's, uh, before you run out and watch it, just I'm going to tell you there's some hard things in it. But it's called the Soft White Underbelly. And the whole point of this YouTube channel is to basically tell the stories of people within our society, right here in America, that we would oftentimes like to pretend don't exist. The people that we would like to turn our eyes from, the people that might disgust us or repulse us or, or make us kind of go, ooh, I don't want to be around those people. And the whole idea is to get us to turn our eyes and to look upon them. And so the whole point of this YouTube channel is to let them to tell their stories, why they made the decisions that they make, why they have the doubts they have and the fears that they have, and, and why they've gotten mixed up into the things that they've gotten mixed up to. And then again, like I'm just telling you, don't run home and watch it with your kids. It's hard, and it's ugly, and it's messy, and there's bad language in it because you know what? This is what brokenness looks like. 
This is what sheep look like when they're harassed and they're helpless and they're just wandering around and they're just doing things that they think is right. And there's stories there of corrupt cops and prostitutes and meth addicts, hackers, preacher's kids. And it forces us to look at people that typically we would say normally would turn our stomachs a little. The type of people that if I'm walking downtown Wichita with my family, I might choose to go another way if I see them in the alley. Or I might hold my kids a little bit closer. Brothers and sisters, these are the people that Jesus came to save. These are the people that Jesus was receiving into his life. And listen, it wasn't only the worst of the worst. You know who else it was? It was also the people who look wonderful on the outside. It was also the people that I'm guessing represent some just like the ones in this room who smile, who are dressed nice, who went to church, who drove up here in a nice car, but inside you're wrestling with sin and brokenness and broken marriages. Jesus sees all of it. And you know what I love about this text is Jesus has compassion on all of us in the midst of it. He has compassion on all of it. He sees past the masks and he looks and sees sheep that are harassed and helpless. And if we wanna be like him, then we have to exemplify the same kind of passion in our day-to-day lives. And what's interesting is compassion isn't just something that he had as a feeling, but it was directly tied to his receptivity of those types of people, of people into his life. And the question for us is, is ours. And that, that, that brings us to the next point. What does our receptivity look like? You see, look at the Pharisees, and they were mad because Jesus received these people, those people. The people that they looked at and saw, man, that's what's wrong with society. Their sin is what's wrong with society. They're the problem. And if we could get rid of that, then everything would be better. They were the people that the, the religious of the day shunned. They weren't receptive, but Jesus was. Jesus didn't wait until those people figured it out before he stepped towards them. Jesus didn't wait until they were out of their addictions before he brought them in. I think about myself, and I'm grateful that Jesus didn't receive me after my pride was taken care of, after my anger, my lusts, my love of the world, Jesus didn't receive me after all those things were taken. Jesus received me while I was right smack dab in the middle of those things. Isn't that what he did for all of us? He picked us up and put us on his shoulders. And if I'm honest, he's still carrying me away from the very things that if I were let back down on the ground, I would probably stray right back towards. This is Jesus' compassion, and he is receptive. And yet so often, our tendency is to stiff arm and to keep people at distance because they look like sinners. And Jesus would say, no, you're supposed to have compassion, and you're supposed to receive them. I think the real question before us is whether or not we are willing to receive the sinner the same way that Jesus did to receive them into our lives, to receive them into our hearts as human souls, as sheep without a shepherd, in the hopes that they might find the shepherd. 
What would happen if instead of seeing the sin of the sinner, we saw sheep without a shepherd and we received them as such? Are we willing to open up our lives to such a thing? If instead of the Muslim, you saw a sheep without a shepherd, instead of a drunk, you saw a sheep without a shepherd, instead of a bad influence upon your kids, you saw a sheep without a shepherd. What would it look like for us to truly see just the people in front of us as sheep without shepherds, even when they wound us, even when they betray us, even when they do messy stuff around us? And we opened up our lives hoping that they would see Jesus through our compassion, through our receptivity. Like that's what this parable is about. Because you had the Pharisees who wouldn't do that. And you have Jesus that was doing that. And if we want to live like him, we have to be like him. I think one of the challenges for us is that we have a different view of ourselves often. Let me just ask the question, what do you see when you look in the mirror? Now really think about it. What do you see when you look in the mirror in comparison to, say, um, a woman of the night that's out on Broadway on a Friday night? So I think one of the challenges when we look at ourselves in the mirror, we might say, well, yeah, I'm not perfect at all, but I'm doing okay. Like, I'm doing all right. Like, I've got some things put together pretty well. Like, I'm, I'm okay. I'm certainly not them. And I certainly don't do those things. And so you may acknowledge some sin, but what do you really see in the mirror? Do you know what we should see when we look in the mirror? What we should see are the dirty, broken, helpless, wandering sheep on Jesus' shoulders. That's what you should see. Because that's who we all are. He has picked us up. And the only reason we're home is because he came and got us. Amen? The only reason we have hope is because he gave it to us. And when you see that, and you see his compassion for you, and you see yourself for who you truly are, then suddenly it's easier to have compassion on the one who's not on the shoulders of Jesus that's still wandering around out in the field. Don't we want them to find that same rejoicing? Don't we want them to find the same hope? Like this is what Jesus is calling us to. That we would be compassionate. That we would be receptive. Now, I want to do something a little bit unique and different. And we've talked a lot about this in our time with the parables. It's easy to teach these things. And I could stand up here and I could talk about specific things all the time, about this, that, and the other. But we want to give testimony to what this can look like in a life, in in the real life of people going about their days. And so I I want to introduce you to a brother in Christ, um, Mike Lewis. Mike, go ahead and come on up. Um, As Mike is coming up, you may recognize Mike. Uh, Mike is one of our missionaries that we support. Mike and Tanya, his wife, who's right over here, wave Tanya, she's going to be mad at me, but um, they've been serving in um, Guatemala for a long time. 36 years. I met Mike and Tanya in 2001. Actually, we were talking about that last night. Um, Here, we can have a seat. And we were talking about uh, that uh, Mike got to meet me when I was at my height of idiocy as a 19-year-old. All right? So, not that all the other 19-year-olds are that way, but uh, Mike has been serving uh, the Lord with his wife there in Guatemala for years. And, and I wanted to talk with Mike for a couple reasons. One, because Mike has just years of, of experience in history of just working with people. 
And what I love about it, and then I'll, I'll kind of jump in with asking questions, uh, Mike, for you to share, but um, is this, it's easy to think that the life of a missionary is some giant, amazing, exotic experience, right? Uh, and, and all of its wonders and glories, and there's certainly some components to that, I think, but the reality of it is, just like with Jesus, it's a lot of going to the grocery store. It's a lot of taking your kids to school. It's a lot of those types of things, too, which is the same kinds of things that we do here. And so, Mike, let me just ask, first of all, tell the congregation just a little bit about the ministry there that you guys have in Guatemala. So, good morning. It's great to be here this morning, and it really is a privilege to, to be here, and I appreciate uh, being given the opportunity. Um, I'm Michael. It's my wife, Tanya. We were, I was raised in Pennsylvania. She was raised in Louisiana. So we didn't meet until I'd actually been on the field for a while. I was serving under her uncle, and that's how we got to meet. But um, in 1982, I, I went to the mission field in Mexico. And then in 1986, I moved from Mexico to Guatemala. Um, at that point, I thought, well, we're just going to be like I was in Mexico for a few years doing some really great stuff and planting churches, and, and that's what I'm going to do in Guatemala for another four or five years, and, I'll, and then we'll go and do something else in another country and, or another part of the world, and, and that didn't happen. We're still there 36 years later. And God has had a way of, over the years, transitioning what we do, what we've been able to do there in Guatemala, and the type of ministry that, um, that we have and, and I just had this, I had this, as I, as I was thinking about coming up here this morning, um, I, I wanted to get this in for whatever it's worth. <laughs> get in at the beginning. Yes. Parents, <laughs> both Latanya and I were, were young when we felt God call us to missions. Like I was seven, she was nine. And that never left our hearts. And I would give that credit, first of all, to the Holy Spirit, obviously, but also to our parents, into our grandparents who set us in places like this and in opportunities where we could hear the gospel and we, we had the opportunity to hear missionaries, to hear the stories, to hear about countries and people that needed to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And don't ever discount. I remember being seven years old and, and, and people would say, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I'd say, I want to be a missionary. And they'd go, oh, that's cute. You don't be a fireman? No, I'll be a missionary. Oh, you want to be a policeman? No, I'll be a missionary. Ah, oh, it's a cute boy. It's a cute boy. Like, you know, like it was some, uh, just, you know, some goofy thing that I had in my heart. But it was, it was a dream that God had put there. And um, to be able to sit here at uh, 59 years of age and say that for 39 years I have been a missionary and doing what God put on my heart at seven years old, don't ever discount the dreams and what you can instill in your children today. I know that's not what you asked, but that's I just, okay. I had to say that. You're always risking this Sorry. when you put a missionary on stage, so it's fine. Uh, so, or a pastor for yeah. that matter. In fact, I gotta grab my, my, my questions here, but um, Mike, tell them more specifically, like what is, the, what is the ministry look like for you guys there in Guatemala? So we focus on, uh, our ministry has three main focuses. First of all, it's discipleship. So it's planning churches, um, it is, uh, you know, uh, de developing leaders, spiritual leaders. That's number one. Number two, <clears throat> education. We focus on education. We have a school. We also helped start four other schools in the country that are all successful and doing very well. 
And the third thing we focus on is community development. So that would be any of the, it's a nonprofit that works with any of our, any, any social aspects, whether that would be uh, relief in, in times of disaster, or whether that's helping to start businesses or, or, or to grow the economy and help people in those areas. So, so you have a school and a church. We have a school, a church, and. Sound familiar, anybody? Yeah. It, uh, see, the, some of the point is, I see that ministry oftentimes looks the same in various people and are in various places. And um, Mike, I think in the, in the 39 years of your ministry, you would say that it's always really easy to love people, right? Absolutely. <laughs> it's always super easy. I, I'd love to hear like, because I, I know I, we've known each other for years and I've heard a lot of the stories and I've seen a lot of the different things that have happened in that ministry as you guys have served, but in all seriousness, um, as we talk and think about the, the compassion of Christ, um, going to those who are lost sheep, and we think about what it is to see people who are harassed and helpless, um, just interested to know how that has affected, or the idea of Jesus' compassion towards the sinner has affected and driven you and, and Latanya's ministry uh, there in Guatemala and your family. Let me tell you a story about a man by the name of Avelino. Um, I was born and raised in the church. And, you know, by the time I hit 20 years, 22 years of age, I was a missionary at that point. And I was questioning whether or not I really had an experience with Christ or if I was just mm -hmm. doing this. Because I heard these testimonies of these people whose lives had been drastically changed and they had that moment and they could point to that day and that hour and they had a, an incredible testimony of, of how they served the devil and now they were serving Christ. And, and I kept thinking, well, I, I can't even remember when. I mean, I don't know. You know, you're little and where does Jesus live? He lives in my heart, you know. And that, that's all I ever knew. And I, there was never that specific moment. I mean, there was baptism and... Yes, there was that moment when you supposedly you confessed Christ, but it wasn't, it wasn't anything drastic. And, uh, and at the same time, in, those, in that same time frame, God was dealing with me because I was struggling with drunks. Hmm. I mean, I would come home from preaching, get home about 10 o'clock at night, and I have, had a gate, and there would be a husband and a wife passed out in front of my gate. And so the only way I could get my vehicle in to my carport was to get out of my truck and physically drag the husband and wife out from in front of my gate hmm. by their feet and so I could pull my vehicle in. Uh, I would go to the, to the town square, go do something, and I would run into a drunk who would be just nasty. And he would walk up to me and say, Mr. Mike, and he'd give me a hug, and I would be like, just get away from me. And I'd be in a, it would be in a church service, and I'd have drunks walk in, and, oh, can I come in? I don't want to hear that. I was like, oh, my goodness. Just, just sit down, please. You know, yeah. it was just constant because God was dealing with my heart on this, on this very subject. And there was one man by the name of Abelino who ran the post office. And at this time, I was writing my, my uh, future bride, and that, that our entire engagement and, and relationship was all through letters. And so I would go every day to the post office and say, is there a letter? And Ivelina would be sitting there, and he'd say, his answer would be, you want a drink? I'm like, no, I don't want to drink, Ivelina. And he'd say, ah, what, your religion doesn't let you drink? I said, yeah, I just don't want to drink. Do I have any letters? Nope. 
And I'd leave there and go up, get up to town, and the other guy that worked there, Carlos, who was a great guy, he'd say, hey, Mike, did you get your mail? So I just came from there, and I you know, said I didn't have it. Oh, you got a letter. Come on. And he'd take me back down there, and I believe he was sitting there laughing at me. The guy was just... This com- I, I didn't have any compassion for Avelino. And I'm a, I'm a missionary. I'm a preacher. Nobody's I didn't else, have any uh, compassion uh, for Avelino. We've never felt anything like that, right? No, that, 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 that's just me. You're a missionary. You're not supposed to feel that way. <laughs> exactly. Right? Uh, and that's exactly right. But I yeah. did. And have. And do at times. Mm-hmm. And um, time went on. A couple years went by. We actually got married. And Avelino was still the drunk. And... Uh, Still a, a worse drunk than ever, and, a, and, and a, a, just a miserable person, mean-spirited person. And one night we're finishing up service, about 9.30. We had service in the evening, so it was about 9.30, 10 o'clock at night. And there's a knock on the door, because we were meeting in, in a home. And somebody went and answered the door, and it was Avelino, and he was drunk. And he was asking for me. So I went to the door, and I stood there, and I'm like, Avelino, what do you want? And he says, I want you to conquer me. I'm like, what? I want you to conquer me. I'm like, I don't want to conquer you. I want you to conquer me. I'm like, you, Avelino, go home. You're drunk. Go home. Come back tomorrow. We can talk. No, I want you to. And so he just insisted. So finally, I, I brought him in, sat him down. He sat at my desk, behind, behind my desk, at my chair. So I sat on the other side of my desk. And... Uh, and Tanya went and got him a cup of black coffee, and I'm just sitting there, and he just keeps going, I want you to conquer me, and I said, I said, no. And so he, I'll never forget this. I mean, I had no compassion, okay? You know, I just wanted to get him out of the house as fast as I could. I had people to attend to that were, that mm-hmm. we were finishing up service, and, and we, were, we were having fellowship time, and that's who I wanted to be with. And he said, well, can you at least pray for me? Now, he's, he is plastered. I'm talking slobber and drunk. And he says, can you at least pray for me? I said, yes. So I closed my eyes and I said, dear Jesus. And at that moment, folks, I have, I have served the Lord my entire life. And I have never before or ever since experienced a moment like that moment. Hmm. The Holy Spirit came into that room. I began to weep. I couldn't continue to pray. I just sat there and sobbed as the Holy Spirit broke me. And then I just finished up my prayer, I don't know, three, four, five minutes later when I got control of myself and just said, Lord, please have mercy on Avelino. It was silent. And Avelino said, Mr. Mike, can I pray? And I thought, yeah. And he said, dear Lord, I've never called you Lord, but I want you to be Lord of my life. Hmm. And Avelino, when he finished his prayer, he was as sober as you and I are sitting right here today. Never in my life have I seen that, ever. He had not drank a drop of coffee. It hadn't been brought in the room yet. He was as sober as we are sitting here today. And God drastically changed that man's life. Now, I wish I could tell you that that continued. It did continue for five, six, seven years. The man walked with the Lord as faithfully. Oh, mm-hmm. wow. But his wife would never join him. Mm. 
And he refused to do that, the baptism. Mm. Because he kept telling me, I want to get baptized with my wife. I want my wife to get baptized. I said, Avelino, you need to follow Christ in the next step. There's another step that you have, you have to continue to be obedient. I'm waiting for my wife. I'm waiting for my wife. Well, here we are many, many years later. Um, he has not gone back to drinking. He is still, he's a, he's a very, very nice man. His grandchildren are in our school. He's got mm. a grandson in our school. And they come to activities. He does not come to church anymore. But they came to Father's Day this year. And his wife, for the first time ever, was the sweetest. Hmm. We had a wonderful uh, time that night. And we are still, and I ask you to, to believe with us, to continue to believe for God to work in that Amen. family's life. That his daughter, uh, he has three daughters. His, his daughter, who is a widow, she comes to all, of, all the ladies' meetings now. And um, so we're still believing for God to do a complete work of redemption in the entire family. Hmm. Amen. But I had to learn a lesson. That the people that I thought were unreachable. Mm -hmm. That's who he's looking at. Yep. That's who the Father is looking at. That's who Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost. Yep. Amen. And there's, I mean, I think there's one thing for us to think of, okay, someone like uh, Avalio who's, you know, here he is, he's messed up his life and he's walking in this and we're over here. But another thing I love about your story was I know early on, it wasn't just that it was always at a distance. There were also people that you had gone there to reach out and minister to that who were injuring you, Absolutely. like taking things from you and, and stealing. And I just share a little bit about that because I think it's easier for us to look at someone from a distance, but when it starts to impact our lives or our families or create pain in us, then it, it's almost like, at least in my own heart, at times I can feel justified and be like, well, I don't have to have compassion on them because they're hurting me. So share a little bit about your experience with some of that. Well, you know, you go to help in missions and I, any of us in life, uh, we are placed on this earth and, and uh, I believe that our, our role is to be a blessing to all those around us. And there were some... It was a house right in front of where I, when I first moved there, there were the neighbors right directly across the street from me. And they had 10, 11 kids. That's and, a lot of kids. Uh, yeah, it was a lot of kids. And um, all of them from like 15 down were at my house. If I, I had to have a rule where if I opened up my windows, my curtains, then they knew they could come over because they were there all the time. And so if the only way to to keep them not in my house was to keep the curtains closed. So I had to make that rule. If the curtains are closed, you cannot come over. If the curtains are open, then you can come over. So I would wait until a certain time of the day and I'd open up and they'd just come piling over and they'd, they'd uh, just be hanging around and doing whatever. Um, and so we helped them quite a bit. We actually had one of them live with us for a number of years. When we moved from that area, we, we uh, put her through, through uh, higher education. We, um, we helped the family start a business. Just some really, what you would say, nice things. Mm -hmm. uh, hoping that they would give their lives to Christ. And, and that's not what happened um, at all. One day, our road was closed to get past our house, to get to our house. So you had to go up a different road. They're both, they were both dirt roads. But you had to go up a different road. And that different road took us past the backside of this family's house. And so we're driving, and I look down, and Tanya goes, those are my sheets. That's our, that's our curtains. And they had been slowly stealing stuff out of our house 
And you think, well, you didn't miss it? Well, you know, I don't know if we missed it or not, but that wasn't the point. They were ours. That's the point, whether we missed them or not. They were being stolen from people that we were helping. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember I, I hired the, the son of this family to work as a gardener when we moved to a different, a different part of town. And one day I was across the street talking to my neighbor and I looked down and he had on my tennis shoes. <laughs> and, and I knew they were my tennis shoes because you couldn't buy these kind of shoes in Guatemala because they were the ones that had the clips that went into a bicycle so you could, you could you know, ride long distances in bicycles. And I said, Chito, I said, where'd you get those shoes? He said, oh, your, your gardener sold them to me. <laughs> I said, what? He said, yeah, he said you didn't need them anymore and you'd give them, give them to him and told him he could. So I'm thinking, the kid didn't have the sense to sell them somewhere else? He sold them to my neighbor? And, uh, and come to find out, he had, he, had, he had found a key to our house. And when we would be gone, he would go inside and take stuff out of our closets. And he was selling it to our neighbors. Folks, those times are when we're called to love. Mm-hmm. Amen. That's when we're called to love. It's easy to love someone that loves us. It's difficult to love someone that doesn't love us. When they are shooting at us, literally. When they put us in jail, literally. When they stone us, literally. We are called to love. When they slash our tires, when they break our windshields, when they murder our pastors, that's when we're called to love. And those, those, every one of those is a, is a real story in, in our lives. Mm-hmm. And that's when we're called to love. And sometimes those people come to faith. And sometimes Absolutely. the work that is done is in us. Absolutely. As we learn to trust in his compassion and his love for us. And um, Mike, I'd just love to hear you again because, I mean, yeah, we haven't gone through some of those types of experiences per se, you know, but at the same time, I think we could all probably attest to the moment where you've been walking around your day or you've walked around downtown and you've seen the drunk or you've seen us. So these things are real in our lives. I think a question I'd love to hear from you is just in your own family, in your own home, what has receiving the sinner looked like? What does what that just on a practical level look like in terms of we want to receive those people? Um, how have you guys tried to play that out in your lives? Let me, let me try to bring it a little bit closer to home, even in the, even in the, the, uh, the drunk on the street we might meet. You know, we all have neighbors. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't always get along with our neighbors. They're not always easy to get along with. But we all have family members that aren't always easy to get along with. Uh, in-laws that aren't always easy to get along with. And we can easily justify why I don't need to get along with these people. I mean, I'm right, and they're wrong. Hmm. I've tried to love, and they don't want it. They always fight. They're always picking up. They're always, they have a wrong political view. It doesn't matter what it is. We find some reason, and, and, and so we keep people, as you said earlier, at, at a distance. Um, and we think that the minute we're going to spend time with them, somehow, I mean, I was brought up in the church. I, I, was, I was taught to go door to door back in the day, and you would knock on the doors, and you'd, you'd say, you want to come to church? And you, you know, that was the way to evangelize. You invited people to church. Hmm. And if you asked somebody, hey, do you, are you a believer? I go to church. I didn't ask if you went to church. I asked if you were a believer. I go to church. 
You know, and, and, and the whole concept was get people in church. And, and that, I'm sorry, that's not the gospel. Hmm. The gospel is Amen. to bring people to the Father. Amen. Jesus came to, to guide us to the Father. That's the gospel. And, um, and as we look at people, whether it's our neighbor, whether it's the lady behind the checkout counter who is learning today, it's her first day, and she's messed up mm -hmm. the person in front, and they're upset with her, and we're impatient because we've got to get to a meeting that we're late to because we left the house late, but we needed to swing by, and now she's messing up my world, and I want to be impatient with her. That's the person we're called to love. Mm -hmm. Amen. The neighbor who cuts his grass and throws all his clippings into our yard and doesn't rake them up. That's the guy <laughs> we're called to love. Yes, Thanks, Dale. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's the person, and that's where it's hard. Yeah. And, and we often, we, in my opinion, my little bitty worthless opinion, we think that we got to go from zero to 100 the very first time we meet these people. Yeah. And so every time we're around them, we want to shove Jesus down their throat. And all Jesus has asked us to do is love them. Mm -hmm. And loving them is not inviting the church. It doesn't always look like that. Yeah. It might one day. It might today, loving them might just mean raking up the clippings mm. and not saying anything about it. Loving them today might, see, might be mowing their yard, helping them out. Loving them today might be taking them a bowl of soup when we hear that they're not feeling too good. Mm. Loving them today might be when we get our turn at the checkout counter and the little girl's all frustrated. And says, I'm so sorry. No, don't worry about it. Even though we're late, don't worry about it. It's all right. You'll learn. You'll get it figured out. Wow. Loving them is not beeping when the guy in front of us doesn't see that the light turned and going, Wah! get away! <laughs> Loving people and... and Building, I would say the, the, the greatest thing about in order to, to, to minister life is long-term relationships. Mm -hmm. And so take, go back to the story of Abelino. Um, I began a relationship with him as a drunk and me as a young man, him as a young man, both of us, he was an alcoholic. Um, I was a preacher uh, and we are now 36 years into our relationship. Mm. And even though for, you know, he walked, I mean, he walked, he helped me unload bricks when we were building the school. He helped, he was there over and every, I mean, every service, every day he was there beside me, helping out for years. And then he walked away. And yet today I see him drive in on the motorcycle, bringing his grandson to school. And then coming to pick his ground, I'll stop and talk to him, and we'll talk. And that relationship has continued. And I, so we're look, working at 36 years of relationship. We mm -hmm. now have the opportunity to minister to his son, his grandson. We have the opportunity to minister to his daughter. And we have, when they come to special events, we have the opportunity to minister to them. And we continue to believe for the entire salvation, or the salvation of that entire family. Long-term commitment to love people yeah. where they are. Amen. Thanks. Mm -hmm. And it's hard when sometimes we just want our sheets back. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. Uh, and and it's, that's a joke, but at the same time, like, do we let them keep the sheets if they, for the sake of the gospel? We never asked for the sheets. Yeah. And we never even told them we knew they had them. Yeah. And that, but that, that at times is the hardest And they're still our do. friends. Yeah. So, um, Mike, I appreciate you sharing um, and, and, and being here. And uh, Mike's going to be here uh, today. Actually, he's, after the service, he's going to be out at the missions table, and then he's going to come hang out with me with the high school students afterwards. Uh, and then uh, they'll be speaking at Casa de Luz this evening at uh, 4. Are the, are the high schoolers um, in here right now? Uh, some of them are here, yes. Just so uh, you know, we're probably going to tell a story about when I got beat up, so you don't oh, want to well, miss that one. So high schoolers, come to GLC today. Yes. Um, but I want to pray with you, and then, and then I want to wrap up with a few things. So, uh, Father, I just thank you for um, Mike and, and Tanya. Just um, They've been such a blessing to me and Karen's life um, for all these years, and just being able to watch them and see how you've worked in their lives and how you have borne fruit through them. And, and I love to just see that, um, as we were talking last night late, that as you've done work in them, you've then also done work through them. Um, but I, I've seen so much of that, and um, that they've just walked day to day, faithful, um, not doing always big and glorious, massive things, just the little things, and it's just such an encouragement to my heart. And so, uh, I pray, Lord, a blessing over them, the ministry that you've called them to, um, a blessing upon our, our team from the school that's going to be going to visit them in Guatemala this next year. Uh, Father, we just pray that you would continue to use them, and that you would continue to bring glory to your name through. Uh, the work of, of their family and all their kids. Uh, and just, Lord, just pray that you'd continue to do that work. So thank you uh, for the time this morning. We just pray all these things in your name. Amen. Just give Mike a, a hand. You know, I, I just love, um, you know, the opportunity to be able to just hear those stories. Because again, I, I think in our day-to-day lives, at least for me, and maybe I'm different, it is very easy to distance myself from the people the hardest to love. It's very easy to stay away from the people that um, make me uncomfortable, uh, to put up a fence, if you will, so I don't have to see the neighbor. To, to put this up, to put that up, to, to keep myself in those spaces. But it, this is exactly what Christ has done for us. Compassion isn't compassion if we stand at a distance and go, oh, I feel so sorry for them. Compassion becomes compassion when at great cost to yourself, you step into the life of somebody else and you receive them into your own. And that's what Christ has done. And so I want to encourage us this morning as, as believers to to exemplify this as his people, to try and seek, to ask the Spirit of God to build in us that compassion. And maybe that'll mean, like it happened with Mike, you have to walk through something difficult before he breaks you, and you see that, man, like I haven't been doing that. Um, but maybe God will just do that work in your heart. And so I pray that you would do that. And I pray this morning that if you're in this room, um, it, it, even at this point and at this time, that if you've never experienced the compassion of Jesus and you are one of those helpless sheep wandering around and you're experiencing all the brokenness this world has in your life, like he is there to pick you up and carry you. He's not here to judge that. Judgment's going to come someday. Roger talked about that last week and we believe that to be case, but now is the season in the day of his favor. Now is the moment where we can, where he says, I, I don't judge, but I welcome and say, come all to, to, to me who are weary. And listen, 
Jesus never says, I'm okay with your sin. In this parable, he says that heaven rejoices over one sinner who does what? Repents. Repentance is absolutely important. It's absolutely necessary. But repentance doesn't come before you meet Jesus. It can't. Because we can't repent without Christ. And we can't repent without the Spirit in us. And so as the people of God, we have to be willing to be in the lives of people before they repent. And watch them repent and meet Jesus. So I want to encourage you in that. And what we're going to do here this morning as we close, we're going to do two different things. Um, one, we're going, to, we're going to pray for our unreached people group as an opportunity for us to now exercise compassion because there are people in Russia, which is where we're praying for this morning, that in oftentimes, even right now in the news and the world in which we would consider them as enemies, people we don't like, people within a country that we see as bad, doing things we don't agree with, and yet even in this moment, we're going to have an opportunity for as the people of God to do where it always starts first, where love always should start first, which is pray in compassion. And maybe part of our prayer is, Lord, would you give me compassion for these people because I really don't care. You know what? It's okay to be honest at times with that and ask him to do that in our hearts. And so we're going to do that together as a people in the next few moments. And so Ryan's going to come up and just going to play for us gently as we spend some time in prayer for the people of Russia. And so what I want to ask you to do, and I know this can make people uncomfortable a little bit, but it is so important for us to vocally pray out loud for people, with people, among people. And so if you're uncomfortable with praying out loud, I get that. I totally understand. Um, I want to challenge you and encourage you to step outside of your comfort zone as a step of faith and, and pray. Maybe you're not a believer in Jesus Christ and you just don't want to pray at all and you don't know how to do that. That's okay. Just listen. But I want to encourage you to take a couple moments to gather around with you just two, three, four people that you came with, maybe the people that are around you. And, and so go ahead and stand up with me if you're able. And we're gonna pray together here in just a moment for the people of Russia. And here's how it's gonna work is I'm gonna lead us out in a prayer and then I'm gonna invite you to pray for a topic. And I want you to pray out loud for that topic for the people of Russia. And we're going to now try to step into compassion by praying for people halfway across the world. But you know what's amazing? Just as much as Christ is with us right now, Christ is with them and our brothers and sisters in Russia right now. But he's also with the people and he sees the people who are helpless and wandering without a shepherd. And so he's present in that space. And so when he hears our prayers, he promises to act and to move. And we believe he does. Amen. All right, so gather together. I'm going to open us up in prayer and then I'm just going to ask you to pray for something specific. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for Mike and for Tanya and for the testimony of their faith. I thank you for Jace this morning, the testimony he gave us of his faith and his confession that you are, you are continuing in this day the work of finding the lost sheep. What an amazing thing that is that we get to witness that on a day-to-day -day basis. Father, now we turn our hearts to pray for the people in Russia, a people where millions wake up every day, go to bed every night, never hearing or never knowing about you. Never hearing the gospel, never experiencing the love of Christ, your son. Never feeling his compassion upon them. 
And so Lord, in the next few minutes, we pray that you would hear our cries, not because we're good enough, not because we're sinless, but because you have made us righteous through Christ. And you've promised to turn your ear to us. And so Lord, we pray in the next few moments that you would do so. And so in your groups, I wanna just invite you to just specifically pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ that are already in Russia, that God would encourage their faith strengthen them and open up doors for the gospel. Pray within your groups.